Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop talks about his recent trip to China for a conference, as well as Blessed John Henry Newman and evangelization. Go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop to submit your questions. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and this is actually the first time that we've recorded since you got back from multiple trips so welcome back thanks kyle good to be back and there's been a lot that's happened first lots happened in your life uh but also blessed john henry newman cardinal newman has been announced that he has a canonization date along with several other uh, people that will be recognized as saints any thoughts on blessed newman well yeah i mean it's no surprise we knew that the uh the second miracle had been approved. We're just waiting for the date, so it'll be October thirteenth. I think it's a, um, yeah, it's great not just for the church in England, but for the universal church. Cardinal Newman was was a great, uh, really a great scholar, and his conversion to the Catholic faith was through the Oxford movement. Um, was uh, is a story that has always been um, meaningful to me, especially after having read his autobiography um i encourage that i mean or I, I recommend that for people if you haven't read his uh, it's called apologia pro vita sua hmm. apologia pro vita sua means uh, apology for his life basically a uh, his describing his experience of of uh, his growth towards the fullness of truth in the catholic church of course after he uh, became catholic he he was part of the oratory of St. Philip Neri in Birmingham, and his writings are really treasures. I think my favorite is the development of his work on the development of doctrine. But I also love reading his sermons and his uh, prayers, such uh, rich spiritual reading. Um, 
And then the idea of a university. I mean, uh, you know, he worked on founding a Catholic university in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, his ideas on what it means to be a Catholic university are still relevant today. He has other writings as well, Grammar of Ascent, some wonderful writings. So, yeah, I, I think it's really a celebration for the Church Universal. As you probably know, uh, Newman centers around the country and around mm -hmm. the world, they are uh, centers at, at uh, college campuses named in his honor because of his influence and in the mission of a Catholic university. So he's contributed so much to the life of the church, and I think it's a, a day that we've been waiting for for a long time, uh, his canonization. So mm -hmm. October 13th will be a very special day as he's raised to the altar of the saints. And I think I heard at one point in time that he was either one of the few, if not the only blessed to be quoted in the catechism. Do you know if that's true? Oh, I never heard that, but wouldn't surprise me. So, I mean, he was, I mean, his, his teachings, even before he was beatified, really were really valued by, by the church, by various popes, um, He's been quoted in other documents I know, even mm. before he was beatified, but also as blessed. And I remember when he was beatified in England by Pope Benedict XVI, that was a joyous occasion. So now we've been waiting since then for his canonization. Hmm. So with him being quoted as blessed in the catechism, would they need to go back and revise the catechism now to update the footnotes to say saint? I, I think they'll do that, but probably not till the next publication. I don't think you'd reprint the whole catechism <laughs> for that little change. Okay, so we don't need to go home and burn our catechisms <laughs> no, and replace no, them right away. you can cross out blessed and put saint in your personal copy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I cannot wait to hear about your trip to China. Coming up, we'll talk about that, uh, the situation of the church there, and get to listener-submitted questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we are here with our bishop who... Recently, a lot of people might not know this, that you went over to China for yes. a trip. So maybe you can give us a little background on how you were asked to go to China and what the, the occasion was. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a great trip. Uh, I was asked to give a conference to bishops in China. Really, it was nine talks. It was not a vacation trip. <laughs> it was a conference, so it was a lot of preparation. Huh. I was happy to do it. Um, I think it's important that we we try to support the church in China with all the struggles that, mm -hmm. that are there, especially in a country where they don't have the same religious liberties that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. But it was a way to help with the continuing education, the continuing formation of bishops. That's something we kind of take for granted. I mean, for example, we have continuing education for our priests. We have various opportunities for for bishops to continue their formation when there's different programs, maybe by the USCCB or whatever. Mm -hmm. So to be able to help and, and hopefully be of some assistance to the bishops there, I felt that that was um, something I should say yes to. And I'm glad I did. Uh, I had never been to China. I uh, started in Beijing 
Um, the conference was about two and a half hours in a different diocese north of Beijing called Chengde hmm. or Chengdi. And that's actually the newest diocese established in China since 1949. So they have wow. a beautiful new cathedral there and uh, a, a big facility where, with uh, rooms like a retreat center. So that's where I stayed. And really, it was good opportunity to, to speak with the bishops, to uh, celebrate mass together, to um, have meals together. I was really struck by the friendliness and the hospitality of the Chinese Catholics who were there. They were very excited to have uh, bishops there. And, and uh, even though we couldn't communicate with each other, we kind of established a bond. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, meeting the, the lay Catholics who were there. As a matter of fact, I remember I went out to get some exercise and was going to go out and go for a walk. And um, I got uh, one of the workers, a man and, and, and a woman, two of the workers, a man and a woman, didn't want me to go out walking alone. So they accompanied me into the town to get, get some exercise. And it was so funny because... Uh, they talked the whole way to me in Chinese, and I talked to them in English, <laughs> and we didn't understand each other. <laughs> That's hilarious. But we still enjoyed it. You know, there was like this bond. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was really moved by was the reverence of, of every liturgy I was at, and hmm. to see the faith and devotion of the Chinese Catholics. I mean, really beautiful. I could see that was so evident and a lot of people who practice their faith. And I mean, Catholics are a small number in China. I mean, not a small number, it's 12 million approximately. <laughs> but when you look at it, it's a country of over 1 billion. It's a, a small minority with the struggles that we all know about from the news. Um, you know, we have to hope and pray that the new agreement between the Vatican and the Chinese government will bear good fruit. It's somewhat controversial, but the idea is to have one church, mm -hmm. um, not two separate churches, the Patriotic Association and the underground church. But uh, so at this point, all the bishops um, are legitimate. Um, the Vatican has recognized at the request of some of the bishops who were ordained without the approval of the Pope, they now are approved. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a step forward, but it still remains to be seen. That agreement hasn't really been made public, the details of it, but okay. um, it still remains to be seen, you know, how things are going to work out. The whole idea is, you know, this issue, this problem of, of having to register with the government. And so a bishop or priest, if they're going to exercise their ministry publicly uh, and openly, uh, they can't do that unless they're registered with the government. Hmm. Um, and there are some who, who don't want to register with the government because part of that is accepting the principle of the independence and autonomy and self-administration of the church in China. Hmm. Now, it depends on how one reads that. Um, you can because there are some who say, well, the guidelines adopted between the Holy See and China, China agreed to respect Catholic doctrine. So, of course, Catholic doctrine, you can't mean you're alien or separated from the successor of Peter, from mm -hmm. the Pope. So, some have 
uh, still will make that, uh, accept that principle of the independence of the church in China, but it's how you, how you interpret that. Obviously, those who've, who've um, registered have said that in, in their conscience they register, but they recognize their, their, the necessity of their being in communion with the successor of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. Others, when they interpret it, say in conscience the way they interpret it, they can't because it seems like it means they're rejecting communion with the successor of Peter. So mm-hmm. that's still a problem. And, um, you know, the Vatican basically said very recently that the bishops and priests must follow their own consciences in deciding whether to register with the government or not. And it urged, the Vatican urged Catholics in China not to judge the bishops and priests for the choices they make. But hopefully, I think the Holy See is working with and hopefully trying to get that part of the registration changed so that the language would be changed and it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to be interpreted as that they're totally independent from from the successor of Peter. So it's a very, very complicated issue. To be honest, I didn't get into that. It wasn't my place. I wasn't there to do that, to Mm -hmm. get into these things. I was there to talk to the bishops about their uh, ministry as bishops and especially sharing with them how we exercise our Episcopal ministry in the United States. And and they had a lot of questions because it's a church that hasn't had that much contact with other countries. So they, mm-hmm. I think they really appreciated uh, whether it came to liturgical issues, but a lot of issues regarding church governance and how to run a diocese. And those were the kinds of things we talked a lot about. So how much of it was prepared talk versus Q&A? It sounds like they had a lot of questions for you. Yeah, I mean, I had the nine prepared talks, but they had, um, but after each talk, there was, uh, we had significant time for uh-huh. questions and answers. So I really felt that was important, especially since I needed to know what was on their minds. You know, I didn't want to just talk about things that maybe they weren't as pressing to uh-huh. them. So th- that worked out very well. And then we had, we spent a day at the end, they wanted to just have a free day together. So we traveled north of there to the border with the with the uh, autonomous region of Inner Mongolia, up to the it's kind of like grasslands and prairies where the emperor used to uh, go hunting, and uh, where the Chinese armies. This is back before communism, where the uh, when there was still an emperor, and where the army would uh, back then would would do their uh, practices and drills. So it was a beautiful country. And so we had a nice time, you know, the, enjoyed the meals. And I was not that great with the chopsticks. They were always getting me a fork. Um, and they'd laugh because I'd use the chopsticks and I'd be dropping things. And, um, but uh, on the last day, I got to be a tourist, uh, got to back in Beijing uh, to visit, uh, to go to Tiananmen Square and mm-hmm. Also to visit the Forbidden City, which is, you know, goes back centuries to different Chinese dynasties, the Ming and Qing dynasties uh, specifically. And I've always been fascinated by the, you know, and, and learned a lot more about the history of China, especially the dynastic history. So I, I loved that. I was reading a book, by a, a biography, rather extensive biography of one of the great missionaries to China, Father Matteo Ricci. Mm-hmm. 
a Jesuit back in the sixth, latter part of the 16th century, early 17th century, who I had learned about when I was at the Gregorian University as a student because he went there. Mm -hmm. But his successful missionary efforts, I mean, an amazing story, how he learned the culture so well and what became a real expert in Confucianism and Buddhism. Though he was very critical of the Buddhist religion, he was very sympathetic to the really Confucianism as a philosophy more than a religion. And he could see a lot of parallels between Confucian's writings and sayings and philosophy and, and Christianity. Mm -hmm. And by pointing those out, it became more easy to evangelize. And he especially worked on evangelization of the more educated classes and the, the imperial court. And uh, yeah, I, I could go on and on about Father Ricci, but it was um, it, just amazing reading that book. So when I'd have free time or on the airplane, I was reading that book. And, and uh, so as I said, I think I learned as much as I taught while I was there. Um, really, it was uh, a wonderful experience. So the bishops that were there, was this uh, a good number of the bishops? And were they part of the, is it formerly the underground church that's now above ground or? Well, I did not uh, ask like who was formerly okay. what, but I mean now that since they're all. So it's mixed together. They're okay. mixed, yeah, because now they're all legitimate in the mm -hmm. eyes of the church. So that would be necessary. I wouldn't be able to concelebrate mass mm -hmm. uh, if bishops were not in uh, or Ill illicit. Yeah. So, now they were all validly ordained even before, but it was a question of being licitly ordained, legitimately ordained. So, so now they all are recognized. So, so yeah, I, I really wouldn't know, um, and that would have been inappropriate for me to be asking that. I think. Okay. Um, but you know, they're they're moving forward. They, they were bishops from four provinces. I think four or five. I think four provinces. So it wasn't the whole country, but it was those more those northern provinces around Beijing. So is, is everybody then mixed together? Was there like a, a, a moment where these two churches kind of came together and united and merged? Well, no, they're still some... underground. They're still underground priests. Okay. Um, I would say that um, the average Catholic probably just goes to where the nearest where they can go to mass, you sure. know, so it could be a, a church that's registered and recognized by the government or maybe an area of the country where they would go to one that's not registered, mm -hmm. um, which would be called the underground church. So my experience, obviously, in the big city, Beijing, and then in Chengdi, I, I don't think there were any underground. I think they probably were all I, I could be wrong there, though. I, I have to be careful, yeah. But, um, I mean, I didn't sense that there was. Um, it seemed like the relationship there was pretty open. I mean, there are obviously restrictions. I mean, you can't, there's no Catholic schools, for example, and you mm. can't preach things or publicly uh, criticize government policy. Uh -huh. You know, that's, uh, or you get in real trouble. Yeah. I mean, you could get arrested or fined or whatever but trying to be faithful at that situation you know to to continue to preach the truths of the faith mm -hmm. but some you might not be able to do openly and in public you might have to do it more privately 
So for those privately, that would be considered the underground church. If no, I mean, even private. if you were recognized, I mean, I, you can't yeah. get up and preach, yeah. you know, uh, criticize the government for its two-child policy, for example. Right. You know, but you could probably, you know, in when you're talking with people, teach them that way. Is what I, I mean, I'm just saying from yeah. my perspective, I think that's how it would be done. Were you given a good list of warnings of things to Well, I knew. I mean, they yeah. yeah, there was yeah, there were some things that I I couldn't uh talk about openly. Um yeah, there was there was just one thing that I was intending to talk about that I found out uh I really shouldn't talk about. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for my own for me. I didn't it was not to make life difficult for them. Right. Uh so that was more important, you know. I mean, I imagine maybe some of the listeners have been to China. You know, on the surface, you wouldn't wouldn't see much different than the United States walking down the street. You mm -hmm. know, everything looked, you know, there was a lot of, I mean, in Beijing, there's so many American stores and Starbucks and McDonald's and clothing stores. But I guess a lot of stuff, too, is made in China. Right. But, uh, but it seemed um, kind of normal just uh -huh. being there. Um, but there are things that aren't, you know, there's there's not the same freedom that we would have. Mm -hmm. For example, there wouldn't be freedom of assembly. Tiananmen Square, mm -hmm. where the uh, crackdown took place back in 1989, I think, there's a lot of security there. They don't want any protests, nothing right. like that. So are you able to share any of the topics or themes that your nine different talks? What well, was all about the life and ministry of the bishop? I, mm -hmm. I um, basically used as a guideline the document on the life and ministry of bishops by Pope St. John Paul II mm -hmm. called Pastores Gregis, Shepherds of the Flock. And he looked at the various aspects of a bishop's life and ministry. So I kind of used that as the framework, but then brought in a lot of concrete and practical things about uh, how we serve our people as bishops. So talked about the ministry of the word, one whole talk on that, another talk or two on our liturgical and sacramental ministry and how we lead the dioceses, and then several talks on governance of a diocese, how to be shepherds, how to organize the diocese, and then looked at some contemporary challenges that we face both in the United States and in China, especially in the context of secularism and relativism, the importance of reaching out to our young people because of all the other pr cultural pressures on them to uh, abandon the faith. So talked about priestly vocations and the challenges there. Mm -hmm. Now we're in different contexts regarding these issues. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I certainly recognize that. We looked at relationships with other churches and non-Christian religions. That was something that is obviously quite common there because it's mostly non-Christian. Talked about how you evangelize in such a context. They really can't openly evangelize there, so it's it's uh, they have more challenges. I didn't enter into that. I just talked about different ways that uh, we evangelize here. Talked about catechesis, even some financial temporal matters mm -hmm. that they had, in, you know, especially what canon law stipulates, etc. So it was really a very wide range of issues, but it was all centered on uh, pastoral leadership of bishops. You mentioned vocations. How are their vocations numbers? Are they struggling to get? They're priests? struggling. Yeah, they don't. Um, yeah, I think one of the big struggles is 
well, they used to have a one-child policy in China. Mm-hmm. Now it's two-child. So even there, it's kind of difficult when your family size is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, some stiff penalties, especially fines, if you have more than two children. But with fewer children, of course, then as happens here, you know, some parents discourage priestly vocations because mm-hmm. they want the they want grandchildren or mm-hmm. they want. Uh, the family lineage to continue. So I think that's probably uh, one of the reasons why that's a challenge in China. I mean, there are vocations, I, I but, but yeah, they definitely need more priests. Um, so that was a topic of one of the talks that we, we delved into. So are they getting missionary priests then? Or? No, no, no. Okay. Missionaries are not allowed. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, foreign missionaries are not allowed. So no, it's a native clergy. Huh. All the bishops are Chinese. Uh-huh. I mean, the church is, you know, I mean, it's it's been established there since the 16th century. Um, you know, they have a rich history of, you know, they have many martyrs. A matter of fact, we're celebrating the... Uh, the feast of the memorial of the China, martyrs of China on July 9th, or we celebrated, and um, that's the my anniversary of priestly ordination. So it's kind of a special uh, connection there. They were canonized by Saint John Paul II, and when he assigned that date, uh, July 9th, I was happy because there was no <laughs> saint on that date. So, huh. so um, now I kind of feel a connection to the the martyrs of China. Many of them, well, they're from different periods of history. A good number were from that period, the Boxer Rebellion, which was especially ruthless persecution of the Catholic Church. Those martyrs include bishops, priests, sisters, lay people, young and old. I mean, pretty impressive to, to read about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, and I'm glad you had the opportunity to go over there and Hopefully, they were able to take some of your wisdom and put it into practice. So, thank Thanks, you. Kyle. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have your questions like, what do you say about mass being boring? What happens to priests who are no longer priests and more? on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rose. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And today's gospel is Matthew chapter 10, which concludes with... Jesus sent out these 12 after instructing them this. Do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. wondered if you could reflect on this a little bit for us. Yeah, I mean, that uh, Jesus sending out the 12, and he really wanted them to begin 
with the Israel, you know, the Jewish people, the house of Israel. Of course, later in the gospel, we read how he sends them out to the whole world, where mm. he says, go out into the whole world to preach the good news. But, but at this point, it was just going to the Jewish people, the house of Israel. And I think this is uh, the proclamation, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, that's the central proclamation of Jesus's own preaching, but also the preaching of the 12. So it's What a, does that uh, mean, the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, really the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of heaven is really, is really Jesus. I mean, when you think about it, it's his person. So you have the beginning of, of the new creation in Christ. So really they are proclaiming Christ and his kingdom, hmm. a kingdom of grace and truth and life, of love, of peace. It's the new reality of God's reign, you know, and in our lives, in the world. So that's still the evangelizing challenge for us today, to go to the lost sheep. That means to proclaim the gospel. And I think we could, when we reflect on this, we might think of the lost sheep of our own house. It might be in our own families or Catholics who've fallen away from the faith maybe first before going to those who are unchurched. I mean, we have to do both, no question. But of course, we, we, we proclaim the gospel both by our words, but even more by our deeds, by living our faith, by, by um, acting as Christ in the world, loving one another as he has loved us. So I think it is a, a, a beautiful uh, gospel to think about. And, you know, how do you evangelize? I, you know, today, especially when you think about my experience, anyhow, is, is it's, it's pretty much one-on-one -on -one relationship. I think of the millennial generation and, you know, it's not too often that you can be effective in evangelization by just some general preaching or general message. It's got to be personal. It's got to be personal encounter. I, I see, for example, that's, you know, sometimes some of our young adults will say, how do they, how do evangelize their peers? I said, mm -hmm. it's through your relationship with them, getting to know someone and where they're at in their life, and then proposing, not imposing the Christian truth mm -hmm. and sharing with one, with, with others, our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with his church and the importance in our lives of prayer and the sacraments, et cetera. And it's a gradual process. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what Pope Francis speaks of a lot as accompaniment. And I think that's the most effective means of evangelization. Well, I think closely related to some of the things you're talking about there, including the sacraments, is our first question. What do you say to people who say that they get nothing out of mass or that it's boring? Yeah, that's, that. you know, you hear that question and, it's always one that is, is kind of difficult to, uh, to answer in the sense that a person who asks that question isn't really going to Mass with the right intention mm. because it's not entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, so it has to do with one's attitude. One goes or should be going to Mass to offer praise and thanks to God. In other words, one is going to pray mm -hmm. and to worship him. So when one has that attitude, like I saw this in China, and goes into church and, and prepares themselves well, praying before mass, then they're able to enter into the mystery. They're not looking for 
some kind of excitement. I mean, they're going to hear the word of God, Mm -hmm. to listen to the Lord's word, and then to offer him praise and thanksgiving in the liturgy of the Eucharist, and to receive the grace of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus. So if one has that attitude, it's not a matter of, well, this is boring. You know, it's not about those things. It's about entering into ourselves. That means being prepared ourselves, our own attitude. So I I think when people have that feeling, I would try to encourage them. I'll say, well, you'll get a lot more out of mass if you go to mass with these intentions Mm -hmm. that you're going to thank, to to give thanks to God. You're going to pray to him. That's why you're going. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you see that attitude. I mean, sometimes I'll observe people going and, and they're really, you know, they're intent, they're intent on prayer. So these questions don't even come up. But then if you see someone who just casually enters, like they're going into a, a movie theater or something, expecting that, okay, I'm not bringing anything to it. I'm just coming to see, to enjoy myself or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, then they might find it boring or might get nothing out of it, you know? So it all has to do with attitude. Yeah. Yeah. This was coming in thinking, what can I get out of this is a, a kind of a selfish attitude of, you know, yeah. I'm just here to take something. I'm not here to give anything. Right. Right. Which is the total opposite of what it should be. Right. Yeah. Another question asked is, if a priest is asked to step down, and if once a priest, always a priest, how does that work? What functions can and can't they perform? Is there any authority that he must report to? That question would need to be dissected a little bit because um, it's vague to say if a priest is asked to step down. I mean, what what does that mean? I mean, a priest may be asked to retire. Hmm. Priest who's retired uh can still exercise all his priestly ministries if he's in good standing. But if a priest has stepped down, you mean, well, he's been suspended. He's been given this penalty of suspension from exercising priestly ministry, maybe suspended from from preaching or suspended from hearing confessions or maybe suspended from all the functions of a priest. Well, in that case, if you're under a penalty of suspension, he can't do what he's been suspended from Hmm. Um, the third is dismissal from the clerical state that's a laicization of a priest that's when one can't do anything one is really dismissed as far as you know maybe you think about some of those priests who have abused who are not laicized not dismissed from the clerical state but living a life of prayer and penance they're not able to do any public ministry but they might be allowed to celebrate Mass privately as okay. they lead a life of prayer and penance. Yes, all of this would be under the authority of the bishop or the religious superior if it's a religious order priest. And yeah, they would have to follow whichever, you know, if they're suspended, they'd have to obey the precepts of that suspension. If they're only allowed to, to celebrate the Eucharist privately, they have to obey that if they're dismissed from the clerical state, obviously, they're out. Mm-hmm. And then the bishop or religious order wouldn't have much. Right, no longer, yeah. Um, priests who've been dismissed from the clerical state, there's no no more relationship, really. Okay. All right, well, you can ask your question by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 
436-9598. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you've submitted for him to answer. The following questions were sent in. Why do some parishes offer wine at masses while others don't? Also, why do some offer gluten-free hosts while others don't? Okay, I guess you'd have to ask your pastor, but I, you know, first of all, I'd say it's the, you know, I'd always be careful we don't speak of offering wine. It is the precious blood mm -hmm. of Jesus. So when we talk about Holy Communion, Jesus is, is fully present under the form of bread or under the form of wine. In other words, if one receives only the host, one is still receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Right. If one receives only the chalice from the chalice, one is receiving the whole Christ as well. Mm -hmm. So why do we even have communion under both kinds? Well, it has a fuller form as a sign when it takes place under both kinds. After all, Jesus took bread and wine and transformed them into his body and blood. So it has more sign value, we mm -hmm. can say. So the sign of the Eucharistic banquet is more fully evident when Holy Communion is offered under both species of bread and wine. It's not required, but it is recommended. So it's up to, you know, particular local situations. Obviously, in our diocese, the, the bishop, by the way, has uh, can establish norms for communion under both kinds for his own diocese. I certainly allow communion under both kinds in our diocese. And then it's up to the priest, who is the pastor of the community. There are certain parishes where they have communion under both kinds at all masses. Mm -hmm. Some will only have it on, at some masses. Sometimes it depends on the size of the congregation, or it may depend on the number of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. I understand there may be some parishes that have communion under both kinds more often than others. Okay. Uh, now, the other question about uh, gluten-free hosts, I would also be a little careful. Uh, gluten-free hosts are invalid. Okay. Um, we uh, we have what are called low gluten hosts. Uh -huh. In other words, there are uh, you know you can't have hosts that have absolutely no gluten because then it would no longer be valid matter because the bread used for the Eucharist must be made of wheat. Okay. Uh, and one of the things that's uh, when we talk about low-gluten hosts, which are partially gluten-free, mm -hmm. that low-gluten hosts are valid matter as long as they have a sufficient amount of gluten to obtain the confection of bread Okay, without the addition of foreign materials. Um, I have given permission uh, for the use of low-gluten hosts in our diocese, but again, you know, these no other substances can be used in uh, in the host, you can't have, for example, sugar or honey or anything like that. That would be a grave abuse. But we can, we do have low gluten hosts that can be used. And there are people, for example, with celiac 
disease who who don't have a problem with uh, low gluten hosts, mm -hmm. you know, but they would have a problem with a regular host. Right. Now, there could be some people with celiac disease who can't even tolerate a low gluten host. So in that situation, they could receive Holy Communion under the species of wine alone, the okay. precious blood. But I think that's a pretty small number of people who can't tolerate any, even the low gluten. The question of some parishes you might go to where they don't have low gluten hosts available, and sometimes it's because they don't have anyone who perhaps who has celiac disease or has asked for low gluten hosts, so they don't have them on hand. I think if that's the situation, uh, well, first of all, if you're a member of a parish where you do have celiac disease and you need that, you should go and ask your pastor to, okay. to provide it. But if you're traveling and you go somewhere and, okay, this parish, they don't have them, you can have your own low-gluten host that you've purchased uh, from the appropriate place and offer to have asked the priest to consecrate that before Mass to include it uh, at, the, at the altar. Uh -huh. I know people who've done that as well. But usually they would consecrate such a host in a separate picks or mm -hmm. patent on the altar so it doesn't uh, mix with the other hosts. Okay. Someone said, at the priesthood ordination mass last month, I noticed that right before the procession began, Father Royce dipped his finger into the baptismal font and then gave you some holy water from his finger so you could bless yourself. Why was that? Well, there's no profound reason for it. Sometimes masters of ceremony and Father Royce was a uh, the MC for that mass, basically sometimes they're closer to the holy water. So, <laughs> okay. so they'll take some holy water on their hand and just extend it to me uh, so I can bless myself. But uh, other times I, I'll bless myself as I pass the holy water fount. Okay. Um, but I know there are MCs who are always, uh, who, who want to, you know, provide some assistance there. If they're closer to it, they'll get it and just hand it, you know, give, put their hand out to me so I could take some of it and, and make the sign of the cross. But yeah, there's no, no profound reason. <laughs> okay. Finally, someone asked, do you have a favorite childhood memory? Oh my, I always have a hard time when I'm asked one, a specific thing like that. Uh -huh. I think, um, I'm not very good with memory, uh, but I would say... <laughs> I beg to differ. you able to pull out names and <laughs> yeah, books and yeah. Latin all the time. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, what, what strikes me immediately is Christmas. Uh, I have such great memories of Christmas growing up. Just the uh, excitement of... It was a big, big deal, obviously, in my family, the excitement of getting up Christmas morning as a child and seeing what Santa Claus had brought. And I enjoyed everything about Christmas, decorating, the Christmas music, Christmas mass was always central in our family. But yeah, I, I, I guess like most kids, I loved getting all the presents and having fun. <laughs> Well, you're really helping me get into the Christmas spirit. So this is good timing on our... Any gifts kind of jump out at you as a fond memory or something that you... I think I, I remember my first bike. Uh, okay. That was great. I was so happy to get that. I remember I really wanted a bike. But uh, my parents, well, Santa Claus uh, was was very generous. Uh -huh. And though we weren't, we were not a wealthy family at all. But yeah, my, my parents... Uh, were very generous with us at Christmas, yeah. All right, well, one other thing that we want to mention before we go is a week from now, well, a week and a day, July 18th, is the South Bend Viva Bocce Classic, and Bishop, you're scheduled to be there for that. Uh, 
how many times do you think you've played bocce? In your I, you lifetime. know, each year I try to get to them. I, I can't always. It depends on my schedule. But did you do you play bocce anywhere else other than the Redeemer no, Radio? I mean, I, I did play bocce ball a few times um, years ago. Uh, okay. I forget where, but um, so I knew about the game. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, anytime that the date that they choose for Fort Wayne and South Bend bocce, I'll go if my schedule's free. And you get pretty competitive i'm, I'm very competitive <laughs> in a bad way you know like in any sport i'm competitive yeah the uh i, I i'm as competitive as the coonan brothers i think there you go yeah <laughs> well hopefully they can come and we'll see uh, we should put the two of them on one team against your team and and uh, I'm sure so competitive that when my nephew was was like in fifth grade and we played basketball, I'd block his shots, even uh-huh. though he'd be like, you know, feet, a couple feet shorter uh-huh. than me. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, good memories for him today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uncle Bishop. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.